You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. We're in 2 Timothy, we're in chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. You can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen. Here's what the Word of God says to us this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that your word has a purpose as it cuts deeply into the recesses of our hearts and souls. And Father, we ask that you would come and do that by the power of your spirit this morning. Help us to hear your word and help us to respond to your word. Father, I pray that you would do a work of transformation in us, that your name would be magnified, that you would be glorified. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So the book of 2 Timothy uh, was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's commonly believed uh, that this book was Paul's final Uh, letter that he wrote before he was beheaded for his faith. Uh, So that kind of gives you a bit of the context of what's going on, the urgency of the book as you read it. Um, Near the end of the book, the Apostle Paul says this, uh, it's chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's close to his final words in the book. You could say it is the aim of the book. It's what he has in mind. Beginning with the end in mind, he begins to write. He's in his final days. He's sitting in a cold dark, uh, Roman uh, dungeon, little hole in the ground, uh, no running water, so to speak, little hole in the, in the ground above him for light and a little bit of air. And um, that's where he's at. Um, and again, these words, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. My, my, my end has come. That's what's in his mind. He knows that death is right around the corner for him. And with death looming on his mind, with that thought in his head, he 
takes up his pen and he begins to write. He writes this letter to his young protege, right? His mentee, Timothy. Young man, very young man, Timothy. He's now pastoring a church in Ephesus that the Apostle Paul had planted many years earlier. And so with death looming over his head, the Apostle Paul takes up his pen to write this letter to Timothy. And if you were to read it in its entirety, you get the sense that this is like Paul's last will and testament, so to speak. It's the, it's, it's the most important things that he wants to say as he nears the end of his life. As you read the entire letter, you get a, you get a sense that the Apostle Paul is not captured by these thoughts of doom or gloom. The Apostle Paul's legacy is not going to be one that is marked by defeat. It's not going to be marked by disqualification. It's not going to be marked by despair. The Apostle Paul's legacy is going to be marked by an unfading passion for the gospel. It's going to be marked by a faithfulness until the very end. That's the kind of man that the Apostle Paul was. That's the legacy that he leaves behind. And the question is, what would be your legacy? What do you think your legacy would be? You think about this way. If you receive the horrifying news right now that you only have 24 hours left to live, and you have that kind of urgency to the remaining moments of your life, what would your legacy be? What would you be remembered for? If the dash between the dates of your birth and your death became solidified tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., what words would people use to describe you if you died tomorrow? You take that out of the personal context. Think about this uh, in, a, in a corporate context, a family context, like church if you think about these questions in terms of the church that you call your church home, this church, the well, who outside the walls of our church family would notice if we cease to exist tomorrow? Who would notice? What would we be remembered for? What words would people use to describe the well? When I think about men like the Apostle Paul, when I think about men like Timothy, I think about men who endured faithfully until the end. I think about men who were so passionate about the gospel of the crucified, risen, and returning Savior, our Christ, our Jesus, who died on that cross and left that tomb empty on our behalf. I think about these men, and I, and I think that, that they're so passionate about that message that they were willing to risk life and limb for it. This is what oozed out of these men, is the message of the gospel. And they're, they're concerned. They're concerned with reaching the lost with that message. And, and as I think about that, as I read this letter, and as I, as I sat and prayed through this, I thought, I mean, is, is that the kind of man I am? Is that what I'm known for? Is that the kind of person you are? Is that what you are known for? Let's, let's dive deeply into um, what, what, what looks like Paul's legacy in the first few verses. Think about that again as we read it again. Verses 1 through 3, he says, Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. You know, one of the first things I noticed that I didn't even um, write down, but I noticed it in these moments, he mentions the name Christ Jesus three different times in just these few short sentences. If you know the Apostle Paul, he's known for not writing short sentences. He's known for writing very long sentences. And in these first opening verses, he mentions Jesus, Christ, three different times. That, that's who's on his mind. Now, some other things that you might notice about him um, is that he knew who and whose he was. Now, he knew that he was an apostle. The word apostle simply means that he was someone sent with a message from God. Now, he knew that he belonged to God. He knew that the, the promise of eternal life was absolutely rock solid because that promise that he speaks of is founded not on his own work or his own performance, but it's, it's founded on the finished work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb. So that's the first thing that I noticed. He knew exactly who he was, and he, he knew exactly who he belonged to. Uh, secondly, he, he also loved Timothy deeply, right? You kind of get that sense. That would be part of his legacy. He was a man who loved Timothy deeply. And I think as you read the Apostle Paul in all of his letters, you find that he's not just a man that only loved Timothy. He, he loved broken people really well. He refers to Timothy in these verses as his beloved child. Right? That's a, it's a term of endearment. Um, and he wants nothing uh, more for Timothy uh, th than for Timothy to experience knowing God as his gracious and merciful and peace-giving Father. That's what he wants. When someone looks at you and looks at your life and your pursuits and your behaviors, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you relate to others... Would they say that one of the driving forces of your life is that others would come to know a gracious and loving and peace-extending Father? Is that one of the main goals of your life? And don't miss the fact, too, that as we look at Paul, who loves Timothy deeply, he also expresses this deep gratitude He's not taking Timothy for granted. He, he expresses gratitude to God for Timothy, understanding that Timothy, this young man, is a gift from God to him. And so he says, I pray for you constantly, day and night. Is it possible to pray day and night? I mean, that, that seems pretty wild. I think when I read phrases like that in Scripture, I get the sense of someone who is in a constant um, state or attitude of prayer. Third thing that I notice about the Apostle Paul and his legacy is that he had a clear conscience, which is fascinating because if you read other parts of what the Apostle Paul writes in other letters, he'll say things like, I'm, one of the, I'm the worst sinner, the chief sinners. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, the things I keep doing. What a wretched, despicable man that I am. 
Thank God for God's grace. Again, coming back to the fact that the Apostle Paul knew exactly who he was, and he knew exactly who he belonged to, he's able to say, I have a clear conscience. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he stood in a long line of others, a historical line of other people who had served God faithfully until the end. He had nothing to fear as his dash between the dates drew closer. This is the Apostle Paul's legacy. I think the Apostle Paul will forever be remembered as a man who knew exactly who he was in Christ Jesus. He'll forever be remembered as a man who knew that he belonged to Jesus because Jesus had purchased him at the cross. He was a man who loved imperfect people really well. I struggle with that, loving imperfect people. Do you struggle with that too? It's hard. He was a man who lived with the confidence of a clear conscience because of the work of Christ at the cross and the empty tomb. This is the Apostle Paul. I wrote down in my journal as I was studying, do I really know exactly who I am? If you strip away all the titles, pastor, church planter, father, husband, friend, you strip away those titles and and do I really know who I am? Child of God. Do I really know who I belong to? I belong to Jesus. And if all those other titles were to flow out of that, uh, wouldn't, I, wouldn't I walk this life with less anxiety? Or wouldn't I walk this life with less fear? Wouldn't I give in to temptation and sin less if I could live out of that identity? I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? Where are you at with that? Does your life reflect that you belong to Jesus? Is that what people would say about you? Uh, Can people see uh, your love for God as you love others despite their shortcomings? Do you live your life with confidence in God's ability to provide for your every eternal need? Or do you live your life in fear? wondering if God's going to come through for you. What will your legacy be um, when your time on this earth is over? Take a look with me at the picture that we have of Timothy in these verses, asking some of the same questions. When Paul describes Timothy, he says this, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. As I was reading that, I was thinking that having a mentor, someone who's helping you, that that sees God's work in you, that's one of the key factors to spiritual growth, don't you think? Um, We all need someone in our corner. We need someone to root us on, to to encourage us when times get tough. At the end of the day, uh, your legacy, my legacy, it cannot be built in isolation because legacies are not built alone. They're never built alone. 
So think about Timothy's legacy in connection to the Apostle Paul. What does Paul say about him? Paul, Paul says that he remembers Timothy's tears. It's a valid point. It's something interesting to think about. He remembers Timothy's tears. At some point, the Apostle Paul and Timothy had parted ways. Uh, and, and Timothy continued preaching there at the church in Ephesus. And then um, Paul moved on to continue his ministry. And what the Apostle Paul remembers about Timothy in this moment is he remembers exactly how emotional Timothy was on that day. Paul never questions Timothy's love for him because he saw it written all over his face in those tears. The second thing that I notice about Timothy is that Timothy filled Paul with absolute joy. You know what that's like when you, you have somebody in your life that brings joy to you when their presence is in the, when they're in the room. My little grandson Ezra does that for me quite a bit. A lot of people that do that for me, but Ezra, there's something about a grandbaby. He gets out of the car and he's, Papa Joe. And I get really excited. It brings a lot of joy to my life. Timothy filled Paul with joy. You think about, again, where, where Paul was sitting, right? Cold, dark, dingy, jail cell, hole in the ground. And what he longs for the most in those moments is the joy of the presence of his old friend Timothy. You might know that Paul has no problems naming people who would not bring joy to his life. Um, here in the first chapter in verse 15, he names a few of those people. And sometimes we read that and we forget that those people were probably still alive when Paul wrote this. Near the end of the book, in chapter 4, Paul makes a list of people um, that would not bring joy to his life. In fact, he, as he names them, he talks about some of them as bringing and doing great harm to him and to the cause of the gospel. So, so Paul has no problems naming people who would be destructive and not bring joy. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul gives credit where credit is due. For the Apostle Paul, Timothy is a man that he wants sitting right next to his deathbed. That's the way the Apostle Paul views Timothy. Third thing I notice about Timothy is that Paul is confident in Timothy's sincere faith. Now, sometimes I think it's easy to question the reality of our faith, isn't it? You have moments where you wonder, is my faith sincere? Is it genuine? Is it real? Does God really love me? Has he really saved me? This happens a lot of times, especially when you become more aware of your own brokenness, your own failures, and your own sin. But the Apostle Paul, in these moments, wants to ensure Timothy that he never questions Timothy's faith. Why? Because he's seen it with his own eyes. Faith is not just some fluffy thing up in the clouds that we talk about. Faith is something that is visible in our lives by the way that we live. Paul's never questioned Timothy's faith. He's seen it with his own eyes. And he's letting him know that, that he's saying, Timothy, your faith is as authentic and alive as the faith of your own mother and your own grandmother. So Timothy's legacy, according to the Apostle Paul, 
is that Timothy is a man who loves others genuinely. He fills others with joy just by being present. And he possesses a kind of faith that is real and alive. Timothy loved well. He was a joy to be around. And his faith was as solid as they come. So the question for us, if we're applying this to our lives, is this. What would people say about you or I? What would they say about you or I if they had the freedom to write an article with, with no backlash and put it in public record? Or a really big long Facebook post, because there's a lot of those these days, right? What would people say about you? Would they say that your love for them was obvious, or would they question your love for them? Would they say that you brought joy to their life, or sorrow? Would they say that your faith never wavered? Or would they say that you're the kind of person who is really uncertain about your faith? And again, you can zero all that down to that one single question. What will your legacy be when your time on this earth is over? Let's shift gears. We've asked that question. We've dug down deep. Lots of uh, introspective, diagnostic type questions, right? Shift gears for a minute and let's ask a different question. Let's ask this question. How would you actually cultivate your legacy? How would you grow your legacy or, or improve your legacy? If you've been listening to some of the questions that I think kind of naturally flow out of this text, are you this kind of person? Are you that kind of person? What will your legacy be in light of the Apostle Paul and Timothy? you're probably landing in one of two different places as you've been asking those questions. First place, you're either giving yourself a pat on the back because you think you're knocking it out of the park in some of these areas, right? Anybody? No, I won't ask. <laughs> the Spirit knows, and you know. You might be in that place where you're kind, of, you're kind of giving yourself that pat on the back. You're like, okay, I think I kind of slid through. I get a passing grade. Or you're in this other place with some of those questions, you're beginning to despair. You're feeling the heaviness and the weight of that. Like, oh, I failed at that. I failed at that. I'm no good at this. And that, that's all you can feel. Regardless of where you're landing in either one of those places, the prescription is the same. So the pill that you get to take for either one of those places is exactly the same. I think what you and I need to remember is that we're all probably a little bit worse, if not a lot worse, than we really think we are. Okay? Um, but the great thing is Jesus is better. And Jesus is greater. And his work at the cross is finished. You and I are a work in progress. But when our Father looks at us from heaven, if we've trusted in Jesus, what he sees is perfection. He sees a son or a daughter that he spent everything to purchase and he looks at you and he says, I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. Now, that doesn't give us the freedom or the license to just get lazy, right? But we don't need to sit in either of those places. One, giving ourselves a pat on the back. Or two, living in despair, like I'm never going to get any better. This should, this reality of the way that God sees us, what happens in the gospel as we trust in Jesus, it should motivate us. It should give us some energy to pursue God in relationship. 
So if you can get yourself into that frame of mind, then I think it's time to ask the other question again. How do I actually cultivate a legacy moving forward? How do I improve my legacy? If you look at Paul's final words to Timothy here, I think it's in verses 6 and 7, then what you're going to see is you're going to see instructions. He kind of shifts gears from remembering to now instructing. And he gives these instructions to Timothy. And here's what he says. says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So uh, do a little bit of biblical work with me as you're looking at the words. Hopefully you're looking at them in your Bibles. Sometimes it's easy to start thinking about this gift from God that, that Timothy's supposed to fan into flame like it's some kind of like spiritual gift, like the gift of evangelism or the gift of preaching, right? And there are some who think that that is maybe what Paul is referring to, that somehow Paul laid hands on Timothy, and in that moment, Timothy was like, I'm a super evangelist, right? Or a super preacher, or whatever that might be. If you were to look at the text, he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So you got the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us, right? Gave, gift, same word structure, what, what was the gift? The gift is a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So the gift, I think, is the gift of the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion when the Apostle Paul laid his hands on Timothy and Timothy believed the gospel. I'll come back and think about legacy for a minute. Leave that thought on the table about the Holy Spirit. And come back and think about a godly legacy. Nobody uh, ever grew a godly legacy by sitting back on his or her thumbs waiting for it to happen. Right? This life of following Jesus, growing in godliness, it's, it's, it's not a journey of passivity. Yet there are passive pieces to it because the Holy Spirit that does the work And yet we don't just sit back on our thumbs waiting for that to happen and then blaming God because our lives aren't any better. Like we have to put some effort into that as well. Godly legacies don't come to those who sleepwalk their way through life. Godly legacies come to those who take God's gifts and steward them wisely and tirelessly and powerfully and fearlessly. You think about gifts. If you were to squander a gift, that's not the way to receive another gift. Agreed? The gift of God, again, I believe, that's been given to Timothy through the laying on of the Apostle Paul's hands was the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. A godly legacy is the result of fearlessly and supernaturally overcoming every barrier that gets in your way as you surrender to the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And if you grieve the Holy Spirit through disobedience, then you're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, I want to wrap up this way. 
of the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the strength to resist sin. He's the one who gives you the, the strength, the power, the wherewithal to pursue godliness. Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to say it again. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given to anyone, everyone who has surrendered and trusted in the work of our crucified, risen, and returning Savior. The moment that you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, lives within you. The very presence of God inhabits you like a home. Oftentimes, through our continued sin, it's like we lock the Holy Spirit in the closet. And yet, what we need to do is surrender to the Holy Spirit and the things that He is bringing to your attention that He wants to make you better in. So this journey of following Jesus is about a big word, right? Sanctification. It's about being changed. Being transformed. Looking back and saying, I'm not the same today as I was yesterday. Not by my strength or my power because I am weak, but by the power of God who indwells and lives within me. When you think about the Holy Spirit living within you and I, that gift of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you and I is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We could, we could paint those words on a wall in our homes or stick them on our mirrors and each day ask the Holy Spirit Make my heart sensitive to ways that I am not walking in the fruit of you living in me. And not just make me sensitive to that, but then give me the strength to repent from that. Trust in Jesus again. Help me to grow more loving, more patient, more kind, more gentle, so on and so forth. See, if you desire to have a legacy that actually endures to the end, like the Apostle Paul, like we see here, a, a legacy that remains faithful until God calls you home to be with Him, a legacy that, that oozes passion for the, the gospel, then I think the remedy from this portion of the text is that you consistently surrender to the voice of of the Holy Spirit as He calls you to repent and calls you to believe and helps you to do just that as you look to the work of Christ at the cross and the empty tomb, as you hold on to that promise of eternity. So there's some really practical places that we probably want to grow, right? Like if you want to be more faithful with your finances, you want to be more patient with your kids, you want to be more loving with your spouse or more engaged in ministry, or you want to be more fearless in, in sharing the gospel, you want to be more consistent in your spiritual disciplines, you want to be more sensitive to those in need, the list could go on and on. What do you do? Fan into flame the gift of God. For God gave us a spirit, the Holy Spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Also, don't forget that the same Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 14 and 15. goes right along with it. It says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're able to look at the the creator, the king of the universe, the one who could squash you or I like a bug just like that, and be totally just in doing so because he's perfect and you and I are not. If you trust in Jesus, you get to look at that being. And you get to say, you're my father. I have no fear. I'm now filled with power because you're living inside of me. You get to cry out to him. Your legacy. What? will it be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray, Lord God, that you would be with us as we close our time. God, that you would take bits and pieces of what was said this morning and what we studied and that you would use it to transform, to change, to encourage, to strengthen, to rebuke even. Pray that you just come and do your work in these closing moments. Trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.